Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 29. If you would please stand for the reading of the Word of God. Psalm 29. Thank you all for being here today. I got several texts yesterday, folk asking if we were going to have church today. And uh, of course we are. I heard a preacher say years ago that... uh, a lot of people don't like to come to church if it's raining. So if you notice, the uh, Bible always says that when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back on the clouds. And he said he's probably going to come back on a rainy Sunday and catch a bunch of his people not going to church. <laughs> psalm 29, the psalm of David. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord The glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The glory, the God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn or a young ox. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve and discovereth the forest, and in his temple doth every one speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me please? Again, our Father, we're thankful that you have spoken to us. We pray that by the power of your spirit you would come and speak to us now that we would hear the voice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, and that his sheep would hear his voice and know him and follow him in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Be seated, please. The Lord above the storm. It is a rare thing that I change the text for the Sunday sermon, but... Florence has created a lot of what they call psychological noise. We are all thinking about the hurricane. We have thought of little else for the past few days. We are in the middle of the rainfall in its aftermath here right now. So since we're all going to sit here and think about Florence through the whole service, no matter what I preach on, I thought it would be just as well to preach on what you're already thinking about. Psalm 29 describes a large and powerful storm gathering up force over the sea and then making landfall and going all the way across the land before finally disappearing off into the desert. One of the commentators says that in the early church... This psalm was often read to children or to an entire congregation during storms. This psalm tells us how we 
ought to think about and react to these kinds of events in nature. I started to say it tells how we ought to think and react as Christians, but since everybody ought to think and act and believe like Christians, that's redundant. So let's look at how we ought to think about and react to what's going on around us at this very moment. First, in this psalm, we see that we are to give the Lord His due. Give the Lord His due. Look at verse 1. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory. Do unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now here, King David says glory is due to the Lord. It's uh, the storm that occasions this call to praise the Lord. We'll see that in the next section. But before anything else, the observation of the storm moves the king to say, give the Lord the glory He is due. The scripture tells us that nature manifests the goodness of wisdom and power of the invisible God as to leave men inexcusable. David says in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. But Paul says that men would not glorify the God they plainly recognized to be the creator and governor of the natural world and neither were they thankful. 150 years ago, Dr. Plummer pointed out that philosophize as we may respecting these amazing natural phenomena, they are wondrous and awful or awesome exhibitions of the power and majesty of God himself, the God of glory. He says, quote, modern science divests a storm of none of its terrors. Modern science divests a storm of none of its terrors. But man, in his sinful nature, recoils from the revelation of God in the natural world. This was the attraction of deism in the 18th century enlightenment. You could admit there was a God, but but he didn't get too close for comfort. He maintained a healthy and professional distance from the created world. He was the watchmaker in the sky who designed it and wound it up and then let us go our own way. This is the attraction of evolutionary theory. At first it allowed people to say that they believed in God, but it kept him a few degrees safely removed from the world and finally it allowed people flatly to deny the truth which they all know in their hearts by instinct and by plain observation. And the same thing explains the attraction of current man-made climate change dogma. Of course the climate is changing. It has been all along. 
You know, the earth warmed its way out of the ice age long before the invention of the internal combustion engine. I expect carbon gas has some effect on things. Of course, what drives a lot of man-made climate change dogma is money and politics. But here's what allows it to gain a foothold. Make no mistake about it. Dr. Albert Moeller, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, points out that Eric Holthouse, a meteorologist writing last week, an opinion piece in the Washington Post said of Hurricane Florence, quote, climate change wrought this freak of nature. You see, sinful man has an insatiable desire to be the master of his own fate. And the popular appeal, not to the politicians and lobbyists who profit from it, but the popular appeal to the common man who stands to gain nothing from it is the illusion of control. Man wants to be in control and deny the reality of God so badly that he will grasp at any straw and go for any theory that says he has the power to control. Even something as plainly absurd as a theory that says man can control weather patterns. But when King David sees the storm coming, the man after God's own heart says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. To look at a storm like Florence, larger than any of the states that it was forecasted to pass over, and say climate change wrought this freak of nature is, make no mistake about it, it is to refuse to give God the glory due to his holy name. Now, whenever we fail to give others their due, we hurt both them and ourselves. Say you hire someone to do some work for you. They do it and do it well, but you don't pay. At least you don't pay them all you agreed. You've hurt them, but you've also hurt yourself. You're destroying your own character and your soul. But when we fail to give God His due, we don't hurt Him a bit. We cannot hurt God. There's not much that God cannot do, but one thing He cannot do is suffer. The theologians, at least the good ones, say that God is impassable. God cannot suffer. God cannot be hurt. He does not need anything from us whatsoever. If we refuse to give Him the glory He is due, it does not hurt Him one bit. He doesn't need our glory. But if we fail to give the Lord His due, we will more and more be given over to a reprobate mind and alienate ourselves further from him in our thinking and our affections and we will destroy 
ourselves. And so King David says to us, give the Lord his due. Secondly, observe the Lord in the storm. He describes this storm in verses 3 to 9. Let's just read over it and draw out some observations. Look at verse 3. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syria like a young ox. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve and discovereth the forest. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. You see, this is not unlike what we've been watching the past few days. In verse 3, it's out thundering upon the waters. Then in verse 5... Uh, the cedars of Lebanon break as the storm approaches. Lebanon is in the north of Israel. Then notice in verse 6, Lebanon and Syrian. Syrian is Mount Hermon in the northern part of Israel. And then notice verse 8. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. That's the southern end of Israel. Think about how the whole nation has been fixated on the path of Hurricane Florence over the past week. Like all hurricanes, it built up over the sea, followed its path inland, and is now running its course. This psalm in, or this storm in Psalm 29 formed and built up strength over the Mediterranean Sea, then made landfall over Lebanon to the north and followed a southward path, finally going off into the desert. Now, that's the path of the storm. Notice also the power of the storm. Look at verse 4. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Trees are breaking and being blown about so that they appear uh, to be skipping. In in verse 9, the thunder is causing does to give birth. That's the power of the storm. So we see the path of the storm and the power of the storm, and thirdly, we notice the person in the storm. Do you see here in every verse, What is there for the whole path of the storm? Or better, do you see who is there? The Lord. The Lord. It has been pointed out that in this psalm, the proper name of the Lord is mentioned 18 times in 11 verses. It's the voice of the Lord. The God of glory thundereth. David equates the thunder with the voice of God. 
the lightning bolts proceed from his mouth. Look at verse 7. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The image of, of lightning. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. Now David is not a Hindu. He's not a pantheist. That's the belief that God is in everything and He is everything such that there is no division between the Creator God and the things He has made. Everything just one big blob and it's all God. David didn't believe that. Nor is David a polytheist like the Egyptians and Babylonians and Canaanites and everyone around him and, and later the Romans and the Greeks who believed that the sun was a god and the river was a god and, and the storm was a god or that there was a storm god. David is not saying that the storm itself is god or that the thunder and lightning are god. No, David is saying that the storm as all nature reveals God. The sheer volume, the audible volume of the thunder reveals something of the power of the voice of Him who made the thunder. The brilliance and what we now know as the voltage of the lightning reveals something of the almighty power of the Creator and the mystery of the storm reveals the incomprehensibility of the maker and governor of the storm. It's not that the storm is God, but if the storm is so great and powerful, then how great and powerful is the one who is so far above it as to have it under his total control? Calvin refers to the ode by the Roman Horace who said that God's voice may be heard in all nature, but the mass of men seem not to stand in awe of him till he speaks in thunder. Storm makes us feel how small and powerless we really are. Again, this is the allure of modern theories that man is causing this. It makes him feel like he has some power. But what it ought to do is to make us think seriously about how small and helpless we are before God. Give the Lord his due. Observe the Lord in the storm. And thirdly and finally, Psalm 29 tells us to batten down the hatches. Look at verse 10. The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Now I know there was an original technical maritime use of the phrase batten down the hatches, seal off the openings below deck on the ship. But in our current use, you know it simply means get ready for the storm. Psalm 29 tells us to get ready for a storm. You see, in verse 10, 
it says that the Lord, the eternal King, it says He sits above the flood or He is enthroned above the flood. That's a particular word for flood. More than one word for flood in Hebrew. Different uses of flood. But this word is used in Genesis chapter 6 to 9 to refer to the great flood in the days of Noah. There was once the universal destruction, a judgment of the whole world. And it came in the form of a storm, a great flood. And based on that foundation, storms in Scripture are images of divine judgment. Every storm, every hurricane is to be a reminder to us that there is a day of judgment coming. We're blessed to live in an age in which we have advanced warning of these storms. Yet we don't need modern science and radar to tell us that it is relatively precarious to live on the coast. And yet coastal real estate remains at a premium. Dr. Moeller again writes, quote, Every time there is a major catastrophic hurricane along the coast, there is immediate advice that what this indicates is that human beings shouldn't go back and build these very expensive structures and concentrate populations in such a vulnerable area. But that's exactly what human beings do over and over again. Friends, there is a storm coming. And our Lord Jesus said that everyone who hears his words and does them is like a man who built his house upon solid rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds beat upon the house, but it did not fall because it was built upon solid rock. But man inevitably wants to build his house upon the sinking sand of his own power and control and self-righteousness as surely as he will spend millions of dollars to buy all the oceanfront real estate he can get a hold of. There is safety in and only in Jesus Christ. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. You know this very voice of the Lord here described in Psalm 29 tells you how to be safe. The voice of the Lord tells you how to be ready for the day of judgment. Look at verse 7 again. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. It's fascinating that in the Jewish tradition, this psalm was read at the Feast of Pentecost. 
Do you remember what happened on the day of Pentecost? Psalm 29 and verse 7 was fulfilled on the very day it was read. The sound of a storm, a mighty rushing wind came and flames of fire were divided in tongues that rested on each of the apostles and everyone from all over the world heard in his own language. The voice of the Lord divided the flames of fire. Psalm 29, 7 to each of the apostles. And they spoke the word of the Lord. And what did the voice of the Lord say that day? This Jesus, delivered up by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, for it was not possible for him to be held by it. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you are seeing and hearing. Let all the house of Israel therefore know that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is what the voice of the Lord said. And the people, when they heard the voice of God, were cut to the heart and asked, What must we do? How may we be ready to face the storm of God's judgment? And the apostle said, Repent. There is forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. In the death of Jesus, there is full payment, full satisfaction of divine justice for your sins. Governor McMaster ordered the eastern bound lanes of I-26 to be westbound late last week so everyone could get out of the storm's path. There was a way of escape. When the flood came in the days of Noah, the only safe place was in the ark. Most of the commentators note that this psalm begins in verse 1 with a call to give glory to God and ends in verse 11 with God blessing His people with peace even in the midst of the storm. Does that remind you of anything? Glory to God. God gives peace. Does it remind you of that multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men? You remember the shepherds were sore afraid that night. 
Florence has had many in our beloved Carolinas sore afraid. And whatever storms have you sore afraid, the angels of God have a word of peace for you. Fear not, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And when the final storm, the storm to end all storms, comes, there will be only one place of salvation, only one place of safety only one Savior which is Christ the Lord there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ when he shall come with trumpet sound Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand.